What is a category mistake? How do we recognize it and how do we respond to it? We're going to talk about that today and a lot more on BibleStudyPodcast.org starting now. Welcome, everybody, to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Wednesday, September the 26th. I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. Of course, on Wednesdays, we talk about apologetics, cultural issues, and so on, or that's what we have been talking about. But uh, I want to propose something. Uh, because we have spent seven months, if you can believe it, we have spent seven months Uh, going through the book of Romans, and we haven't even made it through three chapters. What I am proposing is that we also do a study on Romans on Wednesdays. So we would be doing it Mondays and Wednesdays. And, you know, maybe every, every second Wednesday of the month, we could do apologetics or question and answers or something like that. But, um, this is just something that's kind of been on my heart, uh, and that is, you know, to really step up our study in the book of Romans and offer that more than once a week. But uh, if you guys are, are in favor of that or opposed to that, let me know. I would really like some feedback on this. Uh, my email, of course, is cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. You know, this isn't just my ministry. It's your ministry as well. This is for you, and I want you to be a part of this and to have some say in it. And uh, I've really been seeking the Lord's wisdom and guidance on this, and I hope that you would do the same. And just let me know what, what your conviction is by emailing me. But I hope you guys are having a great week. I wanted to do something a little bit different today, and hopefully you guys are okay with that. I wanted, you know, I always want to keep it relevant and interesting for you guys. But before we get started, let me just make a couple quick announcements. First of all, tomorrow we are starting our series on Galatians, and uh, this is something that my pastor and I and our youth pastor are going to be preaching on Sunday nights at our church. And this last Sunday was Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And let me just tell you, my pastor did a phenomenal job with these first five verses. I'm going to be doing the next uh, the next segment, which is actually in, it going to be in two weeks. But you don't want to miss the sermon that my pastor gave for Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It was really good. I hope you will... Uh, take part in this study with us. I think you will be blessed by it. Galatians is a great book. Of course, I'm a little bit maybe uh, biased. I'm, I'm kind of partial to, to Paul's writings. I love Paul's writings. But anyway, that is starting tomorrow. I also wanted to let you know that we do have some more of the abortion books. Anybody who makes a donation to Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which we are a paraministry of, anybody who makes a tax-deductible donation to Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries is going to get one of these, and I'll throw in a bumper sticker or two as well. So if the Lord has led you to support this ministry, all you have to do is go to BibleStudyPodcast.org, uh, look on the right-hand side of the of the homepage, and you'll see a support box. You can click on there. You can make your donation through PayPal. You can make it uh, you know, through check, through the mail, however you want to do it. But uh, everybody who makes a donation is going to get one of these abortion books and um, and a sticker. But let's go ahead and get started with today's lesson. And this very well may turn out to be the shortest lesson I've taught on here, but it's been a while since I've taught all of you how to identify and respond to uh, a flawed or fallacious argument. But 
as we've seen over the past couple weeks, as I've been responding to some of the objections that atheists raise against our religion or our faith, uh, unbelievers commonly present objections to our faith, which are flawed. And that's because they're full of fallacies. They're full of fallacious thinking. Um, And sadly, you know, I'd also have to admit that there are Christians among us who present arguments which are fallacious as well. And of course, that's something that, that we want to avoid at all costs. But one of the most common fallacies that we encounter in the objections to our faith is what is called a category mistake. And if you've been listening to me for long at all, you know that this is one fallacy that I love to point out. The reason you probably hear me point it out so frequently is because, you know, it's a very common fallacy, uh, particularly when it comes to objections to Christianity. It's also a fairly simple fallacy to understand. And once we understand what it is, let me tell you, it, it just, it really sticks out like a sore thumb when we encounter it. Once you know what it is, you will find it like all over the place. So the purpose for this lesson is going to be, you know, kind of twofold. First of all, we're going to learn how to recognize a category mistake. And I'll give you some examples, including some of the more common category mistakes that we as Christians who, you know, face objections to our faith will frequently encounter. And secondly, once we learn how to recognize a category mistake, not only will our own arguments be better because we'll be able to avoid this mistake, but we'll also talk about how to respond to someone when they present an argument to us which contains a category mistake. So let's go ahead and start things off by talking about what a category mistake is. Uh, I don't exactly have a, a formal definition for it, but Hopefully this is this is going to suffice. Basically, a category mistake is uh, it's an argument that attributes a characteristic or quality to something or someone that, by the very definition of what that something or someone is, that something or someone doesn't have the quality being attributed to it. I realize that's a that's a mouthful. I understand. So a category mistake is essentially an argument which attributes a characteristic or quality to something or someone that, by definition, that thing or someone doesn't have. Now, the key component to this is that, by definition, the person or object being referred to cannot have the quality ascribed to it. So thus, in order to identify a category mistake, the first thing we have to do is have a clear idea of the definition uh, of a person or a thing's inherent essence. Okay, let me give you an example of a category mistake, and let's see if you can figure out why it's a flawed statement. Somebody says to you, could you pour me a dry glass of water? Now think about that for a second and see if you can figure out why that's a category mistake based on the definition I just gave you. Okay, so you've had a minute to think about that, and hopefully it didn't uh, didn't take too long. Hopefully it came to you pretty easily. Well, there's no problem with the syntax in this example, obviously, but uh, but this statement still makes absolutely no sense. It's nonsense, right? Well, why does it not make sense? Because by definition, if a glass has water in it, it cannot be dry. You know, unless, I don't know, unless somebody invents dehydrated water, but then what would you add to that? Uh, I think that's an old Stephen Wright joke. Uh, Anyway, so since a glass with water in it can't simultaneously be dry and have water in it, because the definition of water eliminates that possibility necessarily, this would be an example of a category mistake. Or how about this one? If somebody were to say to you, this square is beautifully circular, 
Why is this a category mistake? This square is beautifully circular. Well, okay, it, this one's kind of obvious too, because by definition, a square must have four sides, which are equal in length to each other, and a circle has no sides, right? So the first thing we have to do in order to identify a category mistake is to have a clear definition of the object or the thing that we are referring to. Now let's talk about some of the some of the category mistakes that we encounter as Christians who are defending and explaining and being active with our faith. The most common category mistake that we as Christians are, are likely to encounter, in my estimation anyway, is a statement that goes something like this. If all things that exist have a cause and God exists, then what caused God to exist? Well, there are actually a few things wrong with this statement. First of all, we don't claim that all things that exist necessarily have a cause. Rather, we claim that all things which begin to exist must have a cause. You know, did the world begin to exist? Of course it did, so it must have a cause. Can that cause be material? Well, you know, sure, but what caused that material to exist? And then we either determine that the material was uh, infinitely existent, or that the material must have been caused to come into existence by something distinct and separate from the material. So uh, so that's one problem with that statement. The other problem with that statement is that it is a category mistake. By definition, when we refer to God, we understand by definition uh, that God is eternal, and therefore he has no cause. He didn't begin to exist, so he can't be categorized with things that did begin to exist. He is infinite, and we are finite, as all non-eternal things must be. All non-eternal things are finite. So those are two completely separate and distinct categories. You can't take something that is infinite and categorize it with what is finite. So how do we respond to this? Well, first of all, by pointing out that the finite and the infinite can't be compared because they're in different categories. It's not even similar to comparing apples and oranges since, uh, you know, apples and oranges can be categorically lumped together. You know, they're both fruit. Secondly, one of my one of my favorite strategies for responding to the claim that God must have had a beginning is to point out that if God had a cause, then what's to say that the thing that caused God didn't also have a cause? And the thing, you know, which caused God to have a cause, had a cause, which had a cause, which had a cause, which had a cause. Well, obviously, we've gone nowhere now because we've run into the fallacy of infinite regress. Infinite regress is a fallacy because if something is potential for an infinite span of time, that potential will be exhausted within that span. Well, does this sound familiar? It might. You know, if if you've been listening to uh, to my podcast lessons regularly, uh, I realize that you know what we've talked about here is is kind of deep. But if you can grasp that concept uh, of infinite regress and and potential and all that stuff, you will be thoroughly equipped to present my potential existence argument from the the Romans chapter one verses eighteen through twenty part three podcast for God's existence. My my proof for God's existence from that podcast. So let me give you another example of a category mistake that we might encounter in defending or explaining our faith. And another common objection to the existence of God uh, and in Christian doctrine as well is that there's evil in the world. So the objection would go something like this. Did God make the world? And of course, our answer to that is yes. So they continue by saying, but there's evil in the world. Why didn't God make a world that was better than this one? After all, if there was just one less murder or one less rape 
or one less lie told in the world, you know, the world would be better, right? Well, my answer to this is wrong, and this is a category mistake. Yes, the world would be better, but we can't eliminate evil completely on our own, and let me explain why. My first response to this, first of all, is uh, is just to say, what makes murder or rape or, or lying wrong, morally wrong? Is it an arbitrary judgment, or are these things absolutely morally wrong? Where does your idea that these things are wrong stem from? Is it social training? And that's basically the only answer that an atheist can come up with. And if so, what if society accepted these acts or promoted these acts as being virtuous? Would these acts still be wrong? You know, confronted with the moral law, it's both kind of amazing and, and sometimes amusing in a, in a sad sense to see the, the hoops that one will jump through and the lengths that one will go through to avoid acknowledging God's existence. But let's talk about why this argument is a, a category mistake. First of all, the person making this argument is necessarily presupposing that it would be logically possible for the world to be a better place. And there's no problem with that. But there are plenty of things that are logically possible, but which we will nonetheless likely never see happen. It's logically possible, for example, for me to memorize Encyclopedia Britannica verbatim, word for word, uh, but it's never going to happen. It's logically possible for me to become the greatest artist in the world, but uh, you know it's not going to happen because I am really not much of an artist at all. It's logically possible for a person to swim nonstop around the world, but is it achievable? Of course not. The reason this argument for a better world is a category mistake is because it assumes the achievability of the world eventually being made perfect while allowing our free will to stay intact. So thus there are two categories that we're talking about here. First, what is logically possible, and secondly, what is actually achievable. Well, I know that this is this is kind of hard to understand. This is tough to grasp. So uh, let me give you an illustration that will hopefully make this a little bit easier for you, hopefully simplify this for you. Let's say that you have a circle and a square, and you hold them side by side, and you want to make the square more like a circle. So what do you do? Well, you can add a side to the square, and now you have a pentagon, but it's still not like the circle. So you add another side to it, and another, and another, and another. And let me just tell you, it doesn't matter how many sides you add to your first figure. As long as there are sides, it can't be a circle, because a circle has no sides. So if a person says, let's make this square more round, you know, can we make it round? Well, we can make it rounder, but we can never make it circular. Uh, I realize that this illustration is you know, maybe a little bit different from our argument that the world could be a better place, but hopefully it's close enough that it helps you to understand why it's a category mistake. The two categories, again, are what is logically possible and what is actually achievable. So hopefully it makes sense that the world uh, being a perfect place fits into the first category, but not the second. But the person presenting this argument presumes the possibility of the second. So anyway, hopefully that makes sense to you, and hopefully this is something that you will learn to apply to your ministry. And yes, as saints, we are all called to the ministry. You have a ministry, whether it is a full-time thing, whether it's doing podcasts, whether it's being a pastor, or whether it's just working a nine-to-five job every day. All of us as believers are called to the ministry, and hopefully this is a tool that you can put in your repertoire and use effectively. 
So God bless you guys. Thank you so much for listening today. I know this is short, but hopefully it was sweet and hopefully it's useful for you guys. Again, please email me and let me know if you guys would have any objection or if you're completely in favor of starting Romans podcasts on Wednesdays so that we'd be doing it two days a week instead of just one. But God bless you guys. Have a great week, and I will see you guys on Monday. Don't forget to listen tomorrow to Galatians.